Folks in the first service just did the same thing. That was beautiful. Let's, let's do that once again. Let's do our Wells Fargo Championship uh, final round clap. Let's work on that, everyone. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. Well done. Welcome to Warehouse 242, everyone. I'm Mark Dickman. I'm one of the pastors here. And this is week four of our series called The Great Recovery. And we had an introductory talk. We had the last two talks based uh, on some on this core idea that there are things in our life that either lead to greater freedom in our lives or greater slavery in our life. And the question that this series will ask week to week is, are you and I becoming more free or more enslaved? And so we looked at finances, we looked at sex, and today we look at commitment and time. And are we growing more free or more enslaved with regards to recovering life with regards to this particular topic. Now, to lead into this, I think this particular lament will resonate strongly with almost everyone in the room because it captures winsomely and painfully uh, the reality of so many of our lives. Most of us are not looking for more things to do because we're looking at the amazing amount of things that are on our to-do lists or in our calendars, and we're saying, how do we manage all the stuff that we currently have going? And so, so often we can feel enslaved by our routines and by our calendars, and I think that as you listen to this lament, that you will be able to see a lot of your life reflected in the face of The Chief, written by Patty Griffin. Thanks for coming to Warehouse. See you. 
So again, it's the great recovery, week four. Certain things in our life will lead to greater senses of freedom, that will produce freedom in our life. There are things in our life that will produce slavery, whether it's life or slavery in regards to money, relationships, or time, which is where we're at today. And I wonder how many of us can relate to those lyrics especially those, those last haunting lines. I'm still marching up and down that street. I don't know what I'm doing that for. I don't know what I'm doing that for. I don't know what I'm doing that for. How many of us have had that sense with the load that we carry in our calendars week to week that we find ourselves kind of caught in this current that goes so quickly, that uh, this current that is life, and so often we're just looking for some branch to grab hold of and we find ourselves saying, surely there has got to be more to life than just this unending grind. I don't, what, what am I doing this for? And my suspicion is that most of us are here on Sunday because there's some level of dissatisfaction in our life where we're saying to ourselves, surely there has got to be an answer to this gnawing feeling that I have that perhaps Patty Griffin articulated better than anyone else. Yet there's also this, this dream that we have, is there not? You know, as, as she expressed it in, in her song, I wish that you could see me when I'm flying in my dreams, the way I laugh there way up high, the way I look when I fly, the way I live, the way I fly. Do we not have that sense also that there is this deep desire that we have to kind of escape the grind of our lives and the commitments that we have and whether it's that image of two feet up on the sandy beach with the blue water and the cold beverage by our side, you know, those times are good. Those are good seasons. And, but how many of us just kind of would like to just stay there? Or if you're a Lord of the Rings person, how many times have you just said, Give me, get me to a Rivendell where I can just live the remainder of my days because the grind of life is just too intense? So when it comes to commitment and time, are we becoming more free or more enslaved? We hold the bold hope in this series that regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey, that Jesus actually has some profound things to say to us in regards to this issue. And that as we read about the life of Jesus, just Ramsey and I were dialoguing about this over email, that it is painfully clear that Jesus lived his life on purpose, that Jesus had 24 hours in a day, just like we did, and that Jesus was never in a hurry. And what Jesus invites us into is to be his followers and to live lives that are meaningful, full of meaning, sustainable, and actually full of joy. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. 
regardless of where you are on the spiritual continuum, I think Jesus has some profound things to say about what a life of joy can look like. But as we lead into that, I'm going to go back and change gears just briefly to a scene in 1994 where a dramatic technological and marketing event happens in the United States. A number of us have been reflecting over the last number of months about the loss of Steve Jobs, and 1994 was a preeminent and defining moment in the life of Steve Jobs and Apple Computer, long before the days of Apple trading at $560 a share or whatever. 1994, Apple was in trouble, and Steve Jobs commissioned an advertising firm to launch the Think Different campaign. And though English majors throughout the world groaned, Steve Jobs said, we're going to go through with this campaign, and this is what the campaign's going to be about. He said this in an interview. This is maybe the most important thing, Jobs said, to shake off this erroneous notion that life is there and you're just going to live in it versus embrace it, change it, improve it, make your mark upon it. I think that's very important. And however you learn that, he said, once you learn it, you want to change life and make it better because it's kind of messed up in a lot of ways. And once you learn that, you'll never, ever be the same. And what Steve Jobs was getting to in that, in that answer to that question, and what we also hear in his Stanford commence, commencement address, is very profoundly linked, I think, to what we're going to be talking about today. Steve Jobs was not a Christian, but he had a very Christian idea there that he, that he captured, and that we're going to look at in regards to a letter written in the first century by the Apostle Paul, one of the early leaders of the Christian church, to the church in Rome. And the Apostle Paul writes these words, and if you have your Bible or if you have your uh, handheld device, you can turn to Romans chapter 12 if you'd like. And Paul writes these words. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, just a brief pause. The, one of the rules of reading the Bible is whenever you see a therefore, you ask, what's it? Therefore, and so what Paul is talking about here is this response in this chapter 12 is what he painted, is, is a vision that he painted in chapter 11 of God's heart and God's desire for the world. That ever since the creation of humanity, God's desire has always been to bring all people to himself, regardless of tribe, nationality, culture, gender, whatever. God's desire has always been to bless and redeem and forgive and bring back to himself the entire world. And Paul has just painted a very compelling picture of, of God's earnest pursuit of, human, of humanity. And, and so Paul is saying, in light of God's amazing love, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And then he says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, Think different, or for you English majors, think differently, please. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And this is where we need to have a radical change of thought. And I need to name this on the front end, because this is a, this is a, a sermon about commitment and time. And what I'm not going to be saying, I will not be saying, we want you to do more things. And God wants you to do more things. If you hear that, 
You didn't hear it from me. Because that's religion. The earnest pursuit of more and more to get in good with God. No. What, what God will be unpacking in these verses is his passionate desire that we would live more free and more joy-filled lives. Not by adding things to our life, but by being wise with the, steward, the stewardship and the use of our time in ways that will be redemptive and absolutely soul-filling. So he goes on, and he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to the others. Now, this is a metaphor that Paul uses over and over again. So if you are a follower of Jesus, this is Paul's way of saying, okay, once you make that decision to enter into God's kingdom and to be a follower of Jesus, you become a part of this body. And you, when Christian followers of Jesus get together, where two or three are gathered, that's a church. The church is a gathering of, of Christ followers. And so this is an expression of a church. And what Paul is telling us, if we follow Jesus here today, that if this is our community, we're part of this body. And we all have a role to play. We're not all ears, we're not all eyes, we're not all hands, we're not all feet. But if this is our community, we all have a role to play. And we all have a gift that we've been given. In some supernatural way, when a person makes that decision to follow Jesus with their life, they're given some supernatural dispensation of a gift that when they use it in service to God's church, they absolutely come alive. And it produces joy. And he says... We who are in the church have different gifts according to the grace God has given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, just a caveat here. There's, there's like a little bit of a list there at the very end. And if you've been around Christian churches or ch Christian circles for any amount of time, you've maybe are, you've heard things like spiritual gift inventories and lists and so forth. And this is not designed to be an exhaustive list of all the gifts that God gives in service to his church. Nor is it meant to be um, this exclusive and, and category-defining list in, in, in this sense. Um, one of the gifts that he, he says there in chapter, or in verse 8, is if, you have the, if you lead, lead diligently. Well, everyone in this room can lead in a sense. Leadership at its core is the ability to influence. And all of us have the ability to influence. But there are some followers of Jesus within a local church body who have been gifted with leadership in such a way that they can lead exceptionally well and that when they lead things, it produces great amounts of joy in them. All of us can, can bring in people to our home and all of us can make meals and all of us can be hospitable, for instance. But there are some people in a Christian community who are so good at being hospitable and so good about creating hospitable and warm space and wonderful food, they're, they're, it's a lot of work, but their life just brims with joy, and it's soul-filling and soul-satisfying because they're exercising their gifts. So regardless of if you are a follower of Christ, the question that Paul is really asking in this list or what he's hinting at is, you too have been given a, a gift. 
a particular gift of grace. So what is it? And steward it well for the flourishing of, of community. Because, again, what God, or what Paul hinted at at the very beginning of this passage, everyone in this room has asked, what am I here for? What's my purpose in life? If you're a Christian, you perhaps ask yourself, what's God's will for my life? Well, I don't know that in particular. If for, I don't know what God's will is in particular for any one of you, but for all of us, regardless of where we are, God's desire is that we do become members of the church, of his body. We discover our unique giftedness. And we discover that his plans and his will for us is good, pleasing, and perfect. That is to say, God actually wants to produce exceeding amounts of joy in our life. But he doesn't want to burden us with more things to do. He wants to free us up to do the things that give us life. Now, to explore this a little bit further, I've asked Holly Norton to join me on stage. And Holly, if you wouldn't mind coming up. Holly is one of our... Uh, elders here at Warehouse, and she's uh, passionate about living in community with this community and using her gifts in investing her gifts passionately in community and linking arms with others and living life together. And uh, one of the things that's happened recently at Warehouse that's been absolutely captivating for so many of us to watch, even if we're guys, is the, the women's retreat that happened just about a month ago. There's been such a buzz about this retreat of over 60 women attending this event that was incredibly soul-filling and incredibly encouraging. And the feedback that we've been get, getting from women who came back from this retreat was, that was amazing. That was a, such a rich, in, encouraging time. And so, Holly, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because you were part of the leadership team that helped make that retreat possible. What was so meaningful, so meaningful to you personally about that retreat? Well, in answer to that question, I kind of think in two different, of two different segments. And one was just the, the planning and the preparation that went into preparing for the retreat. There was a team of um, a handful of women that had the vision for it and prayed um, and um, worked to make the retreat happen. And so being part of that team, there were just beautiful relationships that came out of that that you, I wasn't necessarily expecting, but in a very beautiful way. Um, formed some really dear friendships around this kind of common vision and, and effort. Um, but then also to see the women that helped to put the retreat together, you know, um, if you've never had a chance to taste Roxanne Morgan's food, or for that matter, Liz Mitchell or Jill Garman, um, you know, I was blown away by their gift of hospitality, and they made it look effortless, you know. Um, Laurie Landry led a team of women that made the retreat just beautiful and put a lot of thought into lots of details. And so the process of that was really a unique experience of kind of seeing what you were talking about earlier, the, the gifts uh, within our community and being at work and um, to see the life that comes from each of these women when they're moving in those um, areas. I think for several women, it was an experience for them personally of just kind of coming alive of gifts and things that they are passionate about and they enjoy doing, but in the, in the race of life, maybe those things get um, pushed to the side. And so kind of for them to see the pause of stopping and seeing how they're wired and what, what things give them life, it was a really beautiful experience to watch. 
So then the other, the other component would be the retreat itself. Whoops, my sheet came off. Um, and first was to see at the retreat all these, this investment that was made by the women, um, to, be, to see it so well received. Um, that, that, that use of time and energy and commitment that was put in on the front end really, really ministered to people. Um, so that was neat to watch. And then I think if, if you were there or if you know someone that was there, we really did experience the sweet time of community of, um, you know, this is a corporate setting right now, but you can come on Sunday mornings and it can be a real isolated experience. You can kind of be sitting there in your chair and um, have your own personal experience. Um, but during the weekend, it was a real time of experiencing together, um, hearing from God and worshiping God, <clears throat> times of sharing and praying for one another. And I feel like it was a real beautiful experience of being for each other and being known as a body. And so it was a very rich experience in that regard. There is the reality, though, that whenever you invest in community, and in, in this context, in a, in a church community, there is always a cost associated. And uh, for you, as you invest your life in, in community, uh, what is the cost and what keeps you going? The most obvious cost, um, and it's, you know, the theme of the talk, time. And I was thinking about this, and I don't, I don't know anyone that says, you know, what I really have a lot of on my hands is time. You know, most people, it's a commodity that they feel is in short supply, and that can make us want to be stingy with our time. And, um, and in reflecting upon that, I was thinking about Kurt's talk last week, and the idea that there is a path that can seem narrow, but it actually opens up to expansiveness. And so when you, you obviously have to choose in choosing to invest your time in community, you're choosing not to invest your time elsewhere, but um, there is tremendous expansiveness and life that comes from, you know, you can, you can plow through weeks and years of your life and feel like, what do I have to show for this? And um, there's something powerful and rich in the opportunity to live in community and be part of something bigger than yourself and um, to invest your time. So the, the other thing I see that holds us back, and that's our cost, is just the vulnerability of investing yourself, that it really, it calls you out of your comfort zone. Um, you know, there's the just very real fact of if go, whether it's, going on a retreat or serving in kids' warehouse or whatever it is that if you don't know anyone, then you've got to step into a place of being unknown, and um, that can be vulnerable and challenging. Um, but what keeps me going and what I think is why it's worth the cost um, is because I think we all want to share our life with others. We all want to be known we all want to have people that know us and people that are our people and people that have our back and people that, um, you know, whether it's in crisis, they will be for you or whether it's in your high moments in life that they will celebrate with you. And so, you know, you don't have to know God to have that. You can have that in your neighborhood friends or whatever. You can experience community. But there is a richness and a depth to 
a community of Christ followers because I, I was thinking about the scripture in the Psalms that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you have tasted the gospel, when you come to know the heart of God and the person of Jesus and you enter into a relationship with him, there is, there is something that is beautiful because I think it is what we are meant for, to share in that walk with Christ with others and to live life together and to have people that in messy ways are pressing into your life, but also in very beautiful, I mean that, and that is beauty. You know, there's beautiful things that come from people pe- pressing into your life in the mess, but that is so worth the cost and is the expansiveness that you open up into. And, um, and I'm eager, not only does that energize me, but it excites me to invite other people into that, that there are people around us that are lonely and that um, need to be invited into community. And lastly, one of the things that that retreat produced, uh, not only in the lives of the participants there was uh, but but also in the lives of guys who heard about that to say, man, what does what what do us guys do that that can kind of match that experience? Because I I, I kind of desire that same level of connection. And man, I don't know if we'd go have a retreat in that setting. But what what are things that we can do? And um, with within the women who attended the retreat, there was a desire. Let's keep this going. Let's continue this conversation because being together in community and learning about God was really meaningful. And kind of the question is, so, so what's next in light of the good things that happen there? So a few of the things that <coughs> seem to be bubbling up in the midst of, <coughs> excuse me, in the midst of um, the process of preparing for the retreat and then afterwards is just this realization that, and I think the same is true for men, I think that when you gather in a context of all women or all men, um, there's something about that where our barriers and walls tend to come down more easily. Um, I think that when you're in a group of all women, there can be the opportunity to be more real and vulnerable um, more quickly than in, than in other environments. And so we really wanted to um, explore what that, explore that because I think it's really powerful. Um, and then also wanting more women in our community to experience um, the benefits of community, that we would be a group, a body of, of women that know each other well and not just, you know, this little pocket knows each other and this does or people in their 20s know each other and people at this stage in life know each other, but that we would really experience the fullness of life that we can have when we know one another well, when we care well for each other, when we um, live life together and, and are there for each other. And so in exploring how can we do that as a community at Warehouse, um, we have decided to have um, a few Wednesday night women's events. There was going to be one in July, wait, May, July, and September, the third Wednesday of the month, so coming up May 16th. And um, the first 30 minutes of it is just going to be social time and time to connect. And then the latter half of it, we're going to gather in here in the arena and um, this month is going to be a panel discussion that Tamara Park is going to lead and um, several other women are going to speak on the panel of just of what it looks like to follow God in our lives and what things give us traction in our walk with Christ and just to intentionally together pursue God. Um, and yeah, the next, you know, in July it'll be something else. Um, but our hope is that this is something that, you know, 
all of us as women can, can experience together and that it would be a place for you to invite women from outside of Warehouse that are longing for community and to, to know God, that it would be a place where we can do that together as well. Awesome. Thank you, Holly. So there's a picture of life together. And one of the things that God is enticing us with is the, the vision for, as Holly said, to, to know and to be known and to have real relationships of substance in community. And that requires uh, an investment on our part to, to dive in and to desire that, which is likely a desire that we all have at some level in this room. And then also decide what do we do with that? What do we do with that desire? In any community, any uh, body, church body, we all have a role to play. And I want to go back to the, to the letter uh, that Paul wrote and just conclude with a couple verses that are challenges for what life together looks like because we need to be sober-minded in our assessment of what a, a body of Christ or a, or a Christian community actually looks like especially now and as, and as we move forward. So if we go back to the, to the text, verse 9 says, as Paul encourages this idea of what it means to be a, a body of Christ, he says, love must be sincere, so hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Other, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Again, he's, he's cultivating the ground for a, for a life-giving community here, the characteristics and the qualities. And he continues, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So these are qualities, and Liz, if you could keep that up, we'll just reflect on that for just a sec, because these are kind of qualities and, and challenges of living life together. And one of the things that's important to know, and for full disclosure, we need to know, we, we need to admit that when Christians read the New Testament of the Bible, you know, the first couple chapters or first couple books of the, of the New Testament are all about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. All right, great stuff. But then soon after that, we get to life in the church. And most of the letters written to the churches in the New Testament are letters written to churches where something has gone sideways, where there's some problem and there's some challenge. And so we need to be sober-minded in our own assessment and in our own just, you know, for full disclosure, we need to admit that life in community, life in Christian community, has always been exceedingly difficult. And the reason is because churches are made of people. And people look an awful lot like you and me. And sometimes... Oftentimes, living next and, and enmeshing yourself in a community of people 
that, uh, that's not always easy. Church would be a whole lot easier if it weren't for people. But yet, church is all about people. And Paul is giving us a vision here of a real, a real dose of reality that deep connection is possible. It is possible to experience deep joy and deep contentment in community, but it will require an investment on our part that will, be, that will require intentionality. And so even just that last verse, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There will be times in the life of a community or there will be conflict and there will be unrest and there will be those anxious moments where we'll need to have a hard conversation with someone. And almost no one in this room looks forward to having hard conversations with someone. But vibrant community and vibrant relationships sometimes require those, those times where we actually have to dive in and have a difficult conversation with someone. We have to tell them how we feel. And we have to do that in a way that's full of love. But as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on me, we need to take that first step to say, I want to be at peace with this person. I'm going to share my heart. I can't control how they respond, but I at least need to approach that, that relationship in love. And I tell you what, that's hard stuff. It is. But that's actually where real life can be produced. And that's where it can sprout. Um, sometimes in the most difficult terrain, that's where the most brilliant and beautiful life occurs. My father is a professor of forestry. My father is an expert in controlled forest burns. He knows how to intentionally set fires in a controlled way because he knows that sometimes you need to set fire to a forest floor to produce new life. And it's incredibly counterintuitive. But it's a very fact of biology. And one of the realities of life in community is sometimes we need to do incredibly hard things and dive into incredibly hard relationships and navigate incredibly hard relational terrain so that beauty can come about and flourish. So, in conclusion, if this is your community, if God has called you to be a, a part of this expression of the local body of Christ, then God has given you in some mysterious way, at some mysterious time, he's given you, entrusted a gift to you. So if you are a follower of Jesus and if this is your community, the question is, how are you stewarding your gift? Not, and we ask that question again, not to burden you with one more bit of homework or one more thing to do, but God gave you that gift so that you can experience his pleasure and that you can experience joy and fulfillment that's hardwired and it's designed in the life of a community. So are you investing your life in a community in meaningful ways that are consistent with how God has gifted you? Because that's where you'll experience real life and real joy. And if you're kind of on the outskirts of, of this community, or if you're kind of just exploring Christianity or exploring what it means to follow Jesus, or you're asking a lot of questions, and you come on Sunday because you like the music and it's kind of laid back, I would just ask you to consider and, and, and invite you in that the water's warm. The water's fine. Come on in. One of the great entry points into community isn't to have all your stuff figured out in life. 
It's not to have all the answers figured out for the test. But sometimes the most easy entry point into a life of community, a community that intrigues you and maybe entices you, is just to take that first step in and start forming relationships. Connect to a, a small group. Start, start volunteering or serving somewhere. Start to meet other people and find out what makes them tick and what makes them come alive. We've seen over time people who have been curious about God, been curious about Christian faith, as they've engaged in community and as they've just been a part of life in community, that over time it has become more winsome and appealing and attractive to them, and over time it's made all the difference for them. So if you're kind of on the outskirts, I invite you in, that there's good stuff that happens when we live life together. And that's how God designed us, to be in community and be in life together, to know and be known. So, in conclusion, the great recovery starts with me, it starts with you. When it comes to our commitment and our time, do we feel more free, or do we feel more and more enslaved? Don't walk away feeling like there's one more thing you've got to add to your calendar, but ask yourself, what does God actually want from me, and is God good enough to want to produce joy and fullness in my life? And if so, how do I pursue that? because I want to experience the richness of a will for my life that is good, pleasing, and perfect. God invites us into that. Change the way we think and taste and see that God is indeed good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and we pray and we just acknowledge that sometimes uh, life doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And Jesus, as we are challenged by your words that uh, you say you want to give us freedom, and sometimes life feels uh, very unfreeing, and it feels very burdensome, and it feels a lot like slavery, and that you uh, lived freely, and you lived purposefully, and you were never in a hurry, and, and you invite us into a life of that expansive, full joy. Uh, that is um, challenging and in some ways counterintuitive. You, in only ways that you can, you challenge us and you provoke us, but you do so in love, and we thank you. Thank you that you're not trying to make us feel guilty. Thank you that you're inviting us into freedom and fullness because you want to produce joy in our life. What a gift that that's your desire for us. So we pause just to say thank you. Thank you for your pursuit of us, Thank you for your goodness, and thank you for creating something like Christian community, like a body of Christ. Thank you for Warehouse. Thank you for what you've done and for what you will do in the life of this community together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, but no, I have to give the end of uh, service announcements, and I get to start with a financial update. Yay, that's what everyone, yeah, there you go, Andy, financial update. Yes. So my prayer for you as you go this week, regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey, that you would know that God's plans and purposes for your life are good. That God doesn't want to weigh you down with more to do. But that God wants to give you freedom to live fully and to live with joy. And that God's gift to you, his plan A for bringing about joy and redemption in our lives and in the city and in the world, is through this gift of the church. 
And so my prayer for you is that you would, uh, that you would see God's goodness, that you would taste God's goodness, and that as you invest your life in community, that you would experience increasing amounts of joy as God pursues you. So go, with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Go this day in peace.